Hi, my name is Stephen Turner, and I am the president of Gesha Galicia. And it is my pleasure to be here today with Jennifer Mendelson and Adina Newman of the DNA Reunion Project of the Center for Jewish History. Jennifer Mendelson is a sought after genealogist who specializes in helping Eastern European Jewish families shattered by the Holocaust reclaim their history. Her DNA sleuthing was featured in the 2019 bestseller, Inheritance by Danny Shapiro. Her work has received international media attention, including stories on CNN.com, The New Yorker, The Washington Post, NPR, and The Times of Israel. Dr. Adina Newman, the creator of My Family Genie, is a professional genealogist and educator. Her findings have received international media attention, including mentions in the Daily Mail, AP News, the Times of Israel, and she has made several news outlets, made appearances on several news outlets, such as NPR and I-24 News. She was a 2020 recipient of the Ancestry Pro Genealogists Scholarship. Hi, Jennifer, and hi, Adina. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for taking the lead in this most important project. Hi, thanks well, for having us. Great, thank you. Okay, first off, how did this project come about? The origin story. Um, so I think it, it came together separately uh, initially. Uh, I know myself, I for, something was circulating on social media that one day just made me have this light bulb moment thinking, you know, we really should be getting DNA tests to Holocaust survivors. Whatever it takes, this is something that I feel very passionate about. So, you know, I took that, I called Jennifer and I said, you know, is this something that's being done? Do you know? And she says, no, but it's exactly what I've been thinking about also. Uh, so that's kind of the, the origins there that we both came to this separately, but we both felt, you know, strongly that it was something that was important and that we could do together. Yeah, I think for me, I had been working on these sorts of projects using DNA to help Holocaust survivors sort of on my own time and quite literally on my own dime. And I realized that not only, you know, was I donating my, my time to help people, but it was actually costing me out of pocket to do it, to buy kits and buy documents and all of that. And I was just thinking about it and I thought there really should be a program to do this. Um, and it's so, it can be so life-changing to be able to use DNA to, to reconnect families for these survivors. And I sort of, I, I didn't really have uh, experience like putting together a program like that. So I, I wrote up a little sort of idea and I sent it, you know, several years ago to one person I knew and um, just sort of thought, said, what do you think of this? And it sort of was dead in the water. Nothing ever came of it. And I sort of forgot all about it. I mean, I was thinking about like, it would be so great if we could do this on a larger scale. And then one day I was it 
in 2021 or 2022, Adina called me and, and I just was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I have been thinking about doing. And, and I thought what better way than to partner with someone as great as Adina, let's make it happen. And how did the Center for Jewish History come into the picture? Uh, well, we, you know, we just sort of started brainstorming, like, okay, we have this great idea, but, you know, it's sort of too big a project for the two of us to just sort of start on our own. We clearly need someone to help us, you know, someone, an established institution. And we reached out to the center and it was sort of extraordinary because it happened way quicker than we expected. I, I knew someone who worked there and I said, look, I have no idea if this is something you guys would be interested in, but I have this crazy idea and here it is. And she wrote me back either that day or the next day and was like, my boss loves this idea. Let's get on a call. And I was like, okay. So we got on a call and we started sort of hashing out the details and we made it a reality. I mean, it, it took several months to sort of yeah. from from that initial call to actually launching at the end of November. Right. And um, we worked on a couple of cases kind of in the meantime. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we can talk about that. You know, the story of Jackie Young was, you know, kind of happening. Yeah, I was going to bring that. Why don't you tell us that story now? Oh, OK. So um, I'd say Jackie Young. This is our first case that Jennifer and I were doing together. Obviously, we'd had a lot of separate genetic genealogy solves. But kind of the evolution of this was that, um, again, social media space, people were talking about an episode of a BBC show called DNA Secrets, I think it's what it's called. And it was the story of Jackie Young, who was a child survivor of Theresian Stott. And he found out uh, later in life when he was getting married that uh, I think he, he knew he was adopted, um, but that he was actually a child survivor and that he was, you know, rescued and brought to the UK and that he was, you know, born in Vienna. He didn't know any of this. So he spent, you know, much of his life trying to figure out his story. He uh, had his original birth certificate, which gave his mother's name, but no father was listed. So he went on the show hoping that DNA would solve it for him. And uh, Jennifer, again, this is another separate, we, you know, read this and had the same questions. We read this article and Jennifer and I came to the conclusion separately, you know, something else is missing here. You know, why, how did they find these DNA relatives, but they couldn't find his father? So Jennifer, do you want to tell the rest of kind of how it came on our lap? It's kind yeah. of where again of social media here. I mean, the, the show, the show sort of was able to start the process of unraveling right. his paternal side, but they, they could, they weren't able to figure out exactly who his father was. And Adina and I just thought, well, maybe there's some, you know, extenuating circumstance that wasn't discussed on the show that made it so difficult, but let's at least, you know, see if we can help. So we actually, somebody posted, we, we run a Facebook group for Jewish genetic genealogy. I feel like somebody posted there about the case yeah. and somebody in the group mentioned, oh, my mother is Jackie's neighbor. Yeah. And so we said, would you be willing to get us, get a message to Jackie for us? Um, we, we'd like to see if we can help him. And we did. And Jackie was delighted to hear from us and happy to take any, you know, help that we were willing to offer. And we got to work on it. And within about a week, we had a working hypothesis as to who his father was by looking at his matches and analyzing them and doing a lot of tree building. 
And I can't remember how, then we, we, we figured out that if we were correct um, about who his father was, um, he had a first cousin once removed living in St. Louis, who would be his closest living relative. And we tracked that guy down and Adina called him and said, I know this is crazy and out of the blue, but we think you have a close relative living in London. Would you be willing to take a DNA test if we send you one? And interestingly, uh, that man was an adoptive father him himself. And he sort of was receptive and understanding of the idea that adoptees want to know their heritage. We FedExed him a DNA test the very next day. And then we sat with bated breath and it came back and it confirmed our, our hypothesis. And we were able to send Jackie an extensive family tree that he now has hanging in his office. And we actually got to meet him in London at the, uh, when we were with there. His lovely wife there, the, the most adorable couple ever. Um, so right. that must've been something. It was, it was special because, you know, when you do these cases, they kind of become your own family, like the person you're helping and their family that you're finding. So, yeah, I mean, it was, we, I mean, we know the intricacies of his family tree <laughs> at this point, like they've become part of our household in a way um, and sort of all the other extended members. And we have fielded questions from people who have you know, found him third cousins, fourth cousins that because of the work we've done, they say, oh, I'm related to Jackie. Um, we have a few of those also. So, you know, again, it's, it, it's really, you know, I, I like to think it was very, um, you know, the BBC couldn't help, but it sort of that exposure dropped it on our lap uh, in a way. So he could get the closure that he really deserved. And I, I mean, it's definitely affected him and his family uh, for the better because, you know, I'm, not having all those answers most of your life is just, it's difficult. You've already been affected by, you know, the travesties of genocide, and then you don't even know who your your family is. So, you know, I think for him, it was really uh, an important moment. We should also make clear that this was a case that could only be solved by DNA. So, you know, Jackie had this startling revelation when he was, I think, 21, going Something to get married. Like he knew he was an adoptee, but he had no idea that, you know, he'd been adopted from Vienna. He'd been orphaned. He'd been in a camp until he was three years old. All of that was shocking to him. And he was given a birth certificate, which is more than most people have. And it only had his mother's name on it. There was yeah. no father's name on it. So if you think about it, how on earth do you go about figuring out, you know, who your father is when you have a birth certificate with no name on it? But amazingly, DNA can, in fact, provide those answers. And we were able to use, we call it sort of a reverse engineering process through his DNA matches, we were able to reconstruct his family tree and properly identify his father. Um, we should also say that, you know, there's, this is, a happy story because we were able to give him answers, but not all of the information that you get is happy information because no. we learned no. that his father um, was murdered as well. He was actually on the same transport as Jackie's mother out of Vienna. Um, they were um, killed in Belarus at a, at a killing site. Um, we also learned quite sadly that Jackie had a half brother um, a young man uh, who was uh, in his late teens or early twenties, yeah, like who yeah. who was killed at Auschwitz, um, and that was you know both 
um, it was sad to have to tell Jackie that. Um, but, you know, we got hopeful when we learned there was a brother, um, you know, the record showed us there was a brother. And then of course, when we fo followed the brother's trail, it ended at Auschwitz as well. Um, but for a moment we had hope, oh my God, you know, maybe the brother survived. Um, but alas, that, yeah, that was I mean, it's case. also a case of so many, we don't have photographs, you know, we don't know what his biological father actually looked like. We know that what his biological uncles uh, look like. And there is a very strong family resemblance that we we comment on uh, often. Uh, he looks very much like that family. But, you know, we it that, that can be very difficult, right? Because a lot of these survivors that we help, they just want to photograph. They just want to know what happened to the person. Uh, in Jackie's case, we know what happened to his biological father, but there's really no, uh, nothing left behind, you know, of him. So, you know, it, it's it's a mixed bag, I think is the best way to say this, but it is it is closure uh, in some capacity that only DNA can bring about. Right, right. Now, have you had other success stories? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Any that you want to share with us or they're, they're sort of private? Um, I mean, we can't... We, more will come out in the coming weeks. I think what I really want to emphasize is, you know, not everyone's story is going to be like Jackie's. It's not going to be as, you know, all these are kind of dramatic in their own way, but this was finding his biological father. For some people, it's really the last thing they can do. They've exhausted everything and they just want to see what is out there. So we find people second cousins, third cousins. And, you know, for some people, that's too distant. That doesn't matter. But for Holocaust survivors, it's everything. When you believe that you have absolutely no one left, knowing that, you know, your grandmother had a brother who immigrated to the United States before the Holocaust and had a whole family is everything. So we, you know, I call these the small victories. Um, and we have, I mean, I think we have those in almost every case that we have. And if not, you know, people take a DNA test, at least they know they're doing everything in their power. It's kind of taking that control back that they're doing what um, they can, what's possible to see if anyone's out there. And I, I'd say in almost every case, we've found something, um, you know, whether it's close relative, second, third cousin, something like that. So that's kind of the big picture that we try to provide that, you're doing something, you're being active, uh, because, you know, Jennifer can speak this at a recent conference she was at, but so many people, you know, it's easy to become defeatist. Oh, there's, there's no one out there. Everyone's gone. There's no records. I'm never going to find anything. And so it's a lot of it's about education and really just taking back um, that power and saying, no, not every, you know, not all the records were destroyed. That's a myth. You can use DNA, things like that. So that's part of the work that we do also. You know, it's funny, there's a, um, I just saw this morning, there's a really great new piece in the forward this morning um, by Andrew Silverstein talking about a column that ran in the forward after the war that people used as sort of a clearinghouse to try to find relatives after the Holocaust. Survivors would write saying, you know, I'm looking for my uncle Shlomi Silverstein. He lives in Chicago. He's a butcher. That's all I know. Or Shlomi Silverstein would write from Chicago saying, we believe my nephew Moisha survived. We're trying, you know, um, and I was thinking, 
you know, it was an analog world in 1945 and these people did the best they could to find one another, but resources were limited. And it was so common for lines of communication to be cut off and survivors had no way to know that someone escaped or someone was hidden or, um, so, you know, the amazing thing about DNA is that it can sort of short circuit that that separation process and bring people back together immediately through a DNA connection that was severed by, you know, war and hardship. And I also think that it was quite common after the war, you know, people were desperate to find their relatives, but at a certain point, you know, you had to get re-engaged in the process of rebuilding your life and rebuilding your family tree was probably not at the top of your priority list or, you know, discovering more about your ancestors who perished. And we want to sort of give that back to people now. Um, there, we got a really sweet uh, message the other day from a participant whose uh, survivor father he said, you know, we gave them, gave him this free ancestry DNA kit. And he said uh, they discovered through it that his survivor father, uh, one of his survivor father's uncles actually survived and they had no idea. He said, contrary to my father's post-World War II belief that he had no remaining blood relatives left on earth, that uncle settled in France and went on to start a new life with offspring there. And he said, your reunion project made this all possible. And for that, you have my sincerest thanks. And, you know, we we get messages like that often and it's just incredible. And we should we should probably send a shout out here to the very generous donation of Ancestry. They gave us twenty five hundred free DNA kits to distribute to survivors and their children. So we're greatly assisted in this project by that donation. Um, so it's been it's been incredible. And we've you know, we've worked on other cases of uh, unknown identity um, or as Adina said, in some cases, it's just small victories. You know, we we talk a lot about a survivor's daughter who we sent her um, through the generosity of JRI Poland. Uh, we sent her her grandparents, you know, her murdered grandparents marriage certificate from Poland. And she was just completely blown away by seeing that document, you know, that we people just don't realize that this stuff is out there. They think the Holocaust was this, you know, vast unknown that severed all of our history and all of our past and all of our documents. And then there there is no way to sort of cross that divide. And these documents are readily available if you know where to look for them. And, you know, it's just so meaningful She to, to just guess see you could one of those places to look. Exactly. Yes. Um, you know, you. It. We have used Gesterglitzia as well, um, so it's 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 really gratifying to sort of undo that defeatist attitude and show people no, it really is possible to know more, to reconstruct what happened, to you know, to get a three dimensional picture of these people's lives. And sometimes, you know, the details are so small. I I always think about you know, I I followed a branch of my own family. Um, at one point, and my my grandfather was born, my paternal grandfather was born in Latvia. And that was all I, you know, I knew that we were Latvian, but sort of following the trail, I discovered that my great grandfather had a brother who moved to Wudge, Poland. I had no idea I had family in, in Wudge. And following that trail, I discovered, unfortunately, that, you know, that entire branch of uh, my family was wiped out. And I I just felt it was so important to 
document these people and tell their stories. And I just remember one day getting the marriage record of one of my grandfather's first cousins, a young woman, you know, maybe she was 22 getting married in Wudge in the, in the 19 teens or 20 and just sort of reading it and knowing, you know, thinking about a bride on her wedding day, looking forward to the future and reading that, you know, she got married at, you know, six o'clock in the evening and who the witnesses were. It just, it just brought a piece of her back. And I felt, you know, who else in the universe at that moment was thinking about that young woman? I felt pretty confident that I was the only person to do it. And it just, it feels like a mitzvah to me to, to just sort of say these Absolutely. people had lives and hopes and dreams. And, you know, it was, and now I, you know, I look at that merit certificate and I, I feel like it's, she's not just another face or number. She has a name and a birth date and a husband and, a, you know, and I, I can document it all. And that feels meaningful. And that's what we're trying to do on a larger scale uh, with this project. Yeah. And I, I think just to, to piggyback on that, I think a lot of people, you know, are convinced. I know my family tree, you know, I know everyone is there. So I know in my family, I think about my great grandmother's side and, you know, we knew that she had something like six or seven brothers and sisters. We know who all the, the we know all of them. We know uh, their kids, everything. But when I started digging, I found the name of another sister. And I said, well, why did we all forget the sister? And I have some reasons why, but um, she perished in the Holocaust along with her family. And it's, again, it's, you know, you have to, you know, we talk a lot about confirmation bias when we're dealing with genealogy or genetic genealogy. You can't assume that you know everything or else you're going to miss something. So even though we have this well-documented family tree, I know my great-grandmother had another sister that I think got kind of lost in the fold because uh, a lot of uh, people relied on the testimony at Yad Vashem of a, um, a nephew of this woman who maybe he didn't know that aunt or, you know, for whatever reason. So I think everyone kind of depended on that. So it's just so important that you should be re-examining your own family. You know, you never know what you're going to find. Uh, and we we hear this all the time also that people just didn't know that. And then a DNA match pops up and they learn about a whole new branch of the family. So I think that's kind of the leap of faith I want to encourage people to take and just not settle because it's extraordinary the things that you will find. Yeah. The very the very first survivor we tested through our program, a Polish woman who her she and her mother survived, but she lost everybody else, or so she said. Boom, results came back. It was literally the first survivor's results we saw after giving out our uh, kit. And she had a second cousin in New Jersey. Like her her grandmother who perished had a brother who came to New York in the teens well before the Holocaust. And he had children and grandchildren. And one of them took a DNA test at Ancestry. And boom, there he was, yeah. you know. And you just, you can't know what's out there until you try. Exactly. I, I, could, I could relate because I had the very same thing happen in my family. Mm -hmm where uh, I tested my elderly mother. And one day I get uh, an email saying that we found this DNA match and I looked at it and this was like over 700 centimorgans, uh, wow. unbelievable, of a name that I never heard of. And my mother was still alive at that point and uh, uh, she had no idea who this was. And I wrote to this per person praying that they would respond. And I got a re response back. I gave I gave the uh, towns and the shtetlach that my mother's family was from and the surnames. And he wrote back saying, well, uh, I don't really, 
you know, know any of those surnames or anything. I don't know much about DNA. My grandson asked me to do a DNA test, but yeah, my, uh, my uh, grandmother was from Shindashev, which was where my grandmother was born. And it turned out our two grandmothers were named after the same person. And from this person, we, we found a whole new branch of family that we thought was lost in the Holocaust. And uh, we found out my great grandmother's maiden name from that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. That's when you think that you know everything, uh, I would certainly confirm. And I would also say that it's so important to test the elders because this match with my mother was so strong, but yet the match with me was very ordinary, just one generation removed. So I don't know how I would have investigated that match because, it, you know, I have a lot of matches, the same strength as I do with him. But with my mother's, it really stood out. Right. So we should we should make yeah. a plea to anyone listening mm -hmm. that if if you are a survivor or the child of survivors um, and would like to test through our program, if the survivor themselves is alive and available and able to do a DNA test, we strongly, strongly recommend testing them um, rather than uh, children, because with every successive generation of DNA, 50% of the DNA is lost. Um, so you always want to go back to the furthest back generationally you can get. Um, so right. that's- and it, it, It's also- not necessary to, if you're a child and you have a parent who can test and that's the line you're looking for, you want the parent because of that reason. The only time we ever send kits to children is if say both their parents were survivors, but their father had passed away already. So, you know, that's the 2G that gets tested, but we also test the parent because it covers their side. Um, okay. Why don't you talk a little bit, like one of the purposes of this podcast is to get is to reach people who need to be tested that are not being mm -hmm. tested. So why don't you talk a little bit about your outrage, how people can get in touch with you, and uh, who you're looking for? Yeah. So basically, we have a lot of free DNA kits to give out. As Jennifer mentioned earlier, we had a gift of twenty five hundred kits from Ancestry, and we have plenty of them still to distribute. So if you are a survivor and, you know, people ask us all the time, you know, what's a survivor? How do you define survivor? And for us, it's anyone who was displaced by Nazi aggression. That's really kind of um, our, we have a big umbrella approach to that. And we also, a lot of times, if a, you know, child is born in a DP camp, for example, we consider them still displaced and we, they will qualify as a survivor for our purposes. So survivors can test and their children, second generation. We get a lot of inquiries for third generation, fourth generation, et cetera, or people who um, also, they think they might have an uncle who didn't survive, things like that. But these, this is our criteria. And a big part of it is, as we said, that the DNA gets watered down with each generation. So a 3G is not going to be as uh, I'm not going to say useful, but it's going to be much more difficult for us to do work. And again, you know, we're giving out these free kits. If you're a 3G and you don't qualify, you can still go out there. You know, Ancestry has sales all the time of, you know, what, $59 sometimes, you know, things like th that. So don't feel like you can't take a DNA test. It's just not through the program. 
Um, but that's who qualifies. And then Jennifer, how do we, you know, how do people get these tests? Um, it's very, very easy. You go to our website, dna.cjh.org. You fill out an application and we, if you qualify, we mail you a code that can be redeemed for a free kit and you sit back and wait. And that's the whole thing. Um, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. We have FAQs on our site about a lot of the, you know, questions that people typically ask. Um, and, and that's it. Well, yeah. I could say also one benefit that people will, uh, have if they test through your program is that you'll have two expert DNA genealogists in Jennifer and Adina helping you go through the results. Because a lot of people get flabbergasted by. Yeah, I think we should also say that, you know, Jennifer and I personally, we we have a full load right now of lots of people who are interested. So Jennifer and I in particular like to try to help. We will help, you know, we'll always look at anything that people ask us to do, but we really focus more on the complex cases of, you know, the hidden children or the surprise Jewish ancestry and they find a, a, or not Jewish ancestry or whatever it is. Um, for the survivors. But we do have a webinar that is available on our site that really talks about the nitty gritty of how to interpret your results. But again, whenever people have questions, we're always happy to answer them. Right. Are you allowed to say about how many people you have in your program now? We through have tested, we have tested through our program uh, almost a thousand people. Is that oh, correct? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Now is uh, there's not a separate database for people to. I was no, just about you. to say that. Steve. Yes, it's so important. We want to get. We do not have any proprietary, you know, database. People ask us this all the time. If you take a DNA test, it is going in the Ancestry DNA database, and this is good because Ancestry has over 20 million participants in their database. You need a big pool to fish in. Um, you know, there's talks people think, you know, just for Holocaust survivors, but that's not going to work well. So if you test, your DNA is there. And that also means that Jennifer and I cannot readily see your results. So if you take a test with Ancestry and you get results back, you can't assume at all that Jennifer and I are seeing them because we can't. Uh, the DNA belongs to you. If you want us to see it, you can reach out to us and we can tell you the whole process for how to share your results with us. Um, but again, we do not have any ability to see your results and it's with the commercial database. So what we're hoping ideally is that, you know, with some educational tools like our webinar, you know, hopefully if people test and they see like a close family match, they will recognize, wow, that is unusual and I should find out who this person is. Um, we're hoping for the people who don't have that kind of close match that's easily recognizable and they're like, oh, well, there are some people here and I don't know who they are that, you know, we're going to continue to do education to sort of empower people to look at it themselves. As Adina said, you know, if survivors have questions about interpreting their results, we, we, they can always email us and we are hoping to be available and reserve most of our efforts for those who have nothing to go on, but DNA you know, the, the hidden children, the, we, we've had several cases, um, you know, it's becoming more and more prevalent that people in Eastern Europe are testing and 
non-Jews or so they thought are taking DNA tests and learning um, that they are in fact Jews and did not know it. Um, and, you know, the, and then those people are completely at sea, like, what does this mean? You know, who am I really? And how do I figure out who my Jewish relatives are? Um, uh, you know, those are the cases where our skills can really be put to best use doing that very complicated reverse engineering process of using the DNA and a lot of tree building to figure out who these people really are. Yes. And I mean, we can say with the Jackie case, I think the highest match was a third cousin range match at the time. I mean, we had more people test down the road, but that's the kind of case that Jennifer and I are taking. The ones that kind of seem impossible at first glance. Um, and then, you know, you it's a real specialty to do the kind of DNA work that we do. I mean, it's already difficult, but then you add sort of the Ashkenazi Jewish endogamy because you know, we're mostly working Ashkenazi Jewish cases. I want to also emphasize a lot of people ask us, like, would you, you know, it's not all Eastern Europe with the Holocaust, whatever, like, of course, like anyone who is affected by the Holocaust should be testing with us. Um, but it takes a level of skill that, you know, a lot of many, many hours of learning <laughs> to figure out how to do this. So uh, that's what Jennifer and I, you know, that's what we love to do. And that's what we're doing with, you know, our skill set at this time. Yeah. In one of these cases, we uh we we were trying to identify the unknown parents of two abandoned babies. And uh it, as part of that process, we had to go back to was it 1870, Adina? We had an 1870 marriage from Poland. And oh, yeah. we had to build down every single descendant of that couple who married in Poland in 1870. That is a lot of records oh. and a lot of time. But we did it. Um, we did it. And, and I, I, I kind of recall that there was like one record that some child that was unaccounted for or something in the birth records. We just got very lucky on that one. But but it's um, a, it's a slog. It's a lot. Of, it's, it's like not oh, for the pain of heart, and it's not for sort of the average genetic genealogist no. because we've had you know people who have attempted to do these cases. And though they're maybe quite skilled at regular genetic genealogy, they don't understand Ashkenazi, Ashkenazi endogamy and they don't understand paper Jewish genealogy and Holocaust records. And you need all three of those to be able to successfully do what we're doing. No, I remember one of the cases we said, you know, which side of the family and Jennifer was said something like that. This sounds like a Polish Jewish, like this sounds like the Polish side like the last name, like right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to dig my heels into there. And then sometimes it's even just knowing what wild cards to use on a site, because remember at first kind of past, we couldn't find that marriage record. And then I think we typed in something else and, you know, there it was. So um, it's just, it's a, it's basically putting everything together and it, it's a lot, but again, like we want to be using our skills for this because what bigger mitzvah, what better use of our time uh, we feel than doing this. So, you know, people sometimes think holy work, it feels like holy work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a biological factor also of, you know, these survivors are we're losing them. We're losing them. And pretty soon we'll be at a point where there really be no live witnesses to what happened. And uh, so there's a there's an urgency. I mean, we, I mean, we've had 
we've had people apply for our test and pass away right as they're about to get the test. And we've had people who have taken our test and then passed away after. And, you know, having this actually happened the other day, we sent somebody a test and we just read that they passed away and, you know, it's horrible. And, you know, this person lived a very long life, but their DNA lives on and maybe their DNA will eventually connect to another relative or help somebody. I think a lot of people forget with DNA, it's not just a lot of time the survivor or the child survivor we're helping. We're helping other people who are learning about their own family. I mean, Jennifer and I have built these networks in families. When we were working on the Jackie case, there were all these other people that came together uh, to learn something. When we were working on these, um, uh, Jennifer alluded to two uh, babies. I mean, the international support, the international network that formed after this, people finding uh, who didn't even take a DNA test or, uh, that they had all this other family out there. I mean, we're helping so many other people indirectly. Um, it's really remarkable. It just builds this really huge community for them. Um, so I, I think it's an important emphasis. It's not even just about the survivor. It's about everybody that comes together to put this together. Right. In that case, one of their best DNA matches was the child of a survivor, and she knew nothing about her father's nothing family. Else. And we were in the course of helping them, we built her entire tree for her and she was shocked. And then we, through the help of lovely Jewish genealogists in Australia, we realized, oh wait, they have a second cousin in Australia and we need to That's find him. And the, 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 the JGS in Australia helped us track him down. And he was completely shocked to discover that he had it. family yeah, in America. He's like, Can we send you a DNA test? He's like, oh, yeah. I already tested. All it told me was I was 100% Ashkenazi Jewish. We're like, turn on your matches. Okay. And, then, <laughs> and then he did. And he was the top match. Right. For, that was yeah. well, that was a whole other story. But just, you know, again, so and now we've put all those three people in touch you know, like Adina said, it's like this, It we we leave connections in our wake because very often, you know, it's sort of a, a, a bonus benefit if you happen to match one of our survivors, you know, we build your entire tree for you because we need to. And then it's like, you know, I'm thinking of the, the, um, the uh, JP case we've been working on, Adina, you know, this is a, a guy who's, um, but, thought he was a Polish Catholic and has now discovered actually that he's not. And we're helping him identify his Jewish family. And he has a good DNA match to a guy who had a pretty good tree, um, you know, but we were able to really dig in and get all the original records and, and show him like, oh no, that's mistaken. There wasn't a son named Moshe. There was a son named whatever. And here's the birth record and here's the marriage record. And um, oh, and it looks like he went to Bedzin and, you know, it's, so we've built this, this beautiful tree for this guy. So it's all good. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'd like to mention one thing too, where you said about how uh, people who test through your project uh, get to be part of the ancestry pool, which ancestry has the biggest pool in the world of people who have tested DNA. But another thing you could do is that when you get your ancestry data, there are other sites like Family Tree DNA and MyHeritage where you, for free, can import the data and widen the pool. And MyHeritage in particular has a lot of Israeli tests mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. 
uh, family tree DNA has a lot of Jewish testers and a lot of Jewish projects. So you, it really, the world is out there. There's GEDmatch you could upload your data to. So just testing with Ancestry does not limit you to Ancestry. There's other places out there too that you should try to look because the sure, more sure. you look, the more chances you have for students. right. And we and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that you know it's not just ancestry that's helped us. I mean, my heritage in particular has done a lot of um, help. They've given us you know access to tools that we need. Um, you know, made contact with families in Israel when necessary. Family Tree DNA has sent you know expedited kits for. I mean, it's really what we love about this is that you know we got these ancestry kits, but we're not you know, we don't work for ancestry, right? Like we're genetic genealogists just trying to do the best work we can. So, you know, we've sent 23andMe kits. We, we do whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, so, you know, this is not kind of um, a sponsorship for, you know, to say everyone should test the ancestry. You know, we choose ancestry well because they donated kits, but also because we feel, as you said, big database, you can transfer to most of the other sites. Like it's kind of the, um, the best way to, you know, most efficient. Um, but we use everybody because you never know where that relative is tested. Right. I mean, I think anyone who's really into genetic genealogy knows that if you didn't test at one of the big sites, you'd be missing somebody because not everybody tests everywhere. So it's really important to have your DNA everywhere. And I'll say that for anyone who's listening, who's interested in DNA and um, is not a survivor or 2G, you know, your DNA really needs to be everywhere if you want to maximize your chances of finding somebody. Right. Okay. There's also a certain amount of um, logistical uh, issues right. we have. A lot of, you know, a lot of the people we serve are elderly. They're helped to take the kit sometimes by children or, you know, and so we we get them the ancestry kit and they take it. And then, you know, we have to sort of explain, well, here's how you download your results and here's how right. you upload them. And, you know, we try to do that wherever we can, but it can be, you know, sometimes just the ancestry test is as far as they are willing to go. But we always encourage our, our participants to, you know, broaden their, their mm -hmm. search. And, and if we are working on a case you know, especially like an unknown identity case, we, we, you know, we start with ancestry because it's the biggest and we hope for the best matches there, but then we always have to make sure that they're represented in all four databases. Yeah. Um, I, Adina has heard me say many times, I worked on a case <laughs> before yeah. we started the project of a, um, an orphan who survived, who had no idea, you know, who her family, who her family of origin was. And I worked on it doggedly for months and months and months. Um, somebody else had started it before I came on. And after, you know, we were getting close, we were getting close. And finally, I, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. She never tested at 23andMe. Like there, we just have to have her at 23andMe. Like this is a gaping hole in our research. And in a crazy turn of events, we tracked down the family just uh, on paper, just as her results were supposed to come back from 23andMe. And when we found the family and got in touch with them, one of the cousins was like, oh, I took one of those tests. I tested at 23andMe. And, 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 and then like the results from 23andMe came back two days later and they were first cousins. And I thought if we had just tested her at 23andMe a year ago, we wouldn't have had to do any of this. We would have known, you know, so it was, it was a lesson learned. And ever since then, I, you know, I, I 
you can't do one of these cases without having them in all four databases. Right. And I mean, it's important for, you know, kind of the genetic genealogist enthusiast, you know, each site offers something a little different. So, you know, Ancestry, of course, if you do this, they don't have a chromosome browser. A place like 23andMe, you know, we talked about uh, helping these sisters, you know, there was xDNA there that was really crucial to uh, figuring out which side was which. Or in Jackie's case, there were, they, they give you very basic haplogroups. So we kind of figured out the surname of the paternal side because of some matching haplogroups there. Um, my heritage, you know, we'll, we're not going to talk a lot about this case because we hope it uh, will get some more traction later on. But um, we helped somebody who, you know, kind of the opposite was true. Surprise, I'm 50% Eastern European. Well, if you are, if anyone's dealing with, you know, say you're 50% Ashkenazi Jewish and 50% something else, your matches are probably dominated on ancestry by all your, you know, Jewish matches. It's very hard to kind of slog through everything. On my heritage, they have a filter for ethnicity. So in this case, we kind of just filtered for Eastern European. And if we didn't have that ability, I can't even imagine how many hours it would have taken us to find literally the only match that kind of broke through this case for us. So again, every site kind of has something special to offer. Um, and that's what we do. You know, we we need to know that. But um, I think it's just really important for people to realize why it's also so important to be at every site. Right, right. Well, I want to thank you, Jennifer and Adina. I think this has been a great conversation. A hearty yashikoach to you for this is, you. this great work you are doing. It truly is a great mitzvah. And I want to remind, wish all our, wish you both and wish our viewers a very happy and healthy and sweet new year. And one of the traditions of the new year is to give tzedakah. And I would like to respectfully request that, you know, people who are listening to when they think of some tzedakah that they would like to give out during uh, this season to not only think of Geshe Galicia, of course, but of this very worthy project. We will put the link to where you could donate to this project, uh, whether you want to donate money or whether you also want to test. Uh, if you have someone that you feel is a, a meets the requirements to be a, a participant in the project, that link will be on the homepage of the podcast. And maybe you just want to say the link for if someone wants to write it down while they're listening. Well, if you go to our website, which is dna.cjh.org, there is a button there to donate directly to our program. Um, but just one caveat, do not go to the homepage of CJH and use that donate donate button. That will help CJH, but that does not go directly to our project. So use the link that yeah, is on our site. Yeah, I will also say you actually, if you go to the site, scroll down <laughs> a little bit because in the header, there is a donate button, but there's actually two different donate buttons. Um, little confusing. So if you just scroll down a little bit, you click on the button that says donate to the DNA reunion project. Um, so we, we would give all those instructions, but again, like your generosity really uh, helps us do this work because, and you know, again, um, this is at risk history. We want to help as many survivors and their families as we can in the time that we have. So, you know, you know, anything that somebody can do for us in this way is just, it can move mountains. So thank you. Okay. And uh, 
again, I want to thank you all. If anyone has any questions uh, on anything you heard today, you could write to us at info.geshergalizia.org. And we will try to answer your question to the best of our ability, and we will forward it to someone if they would might be able to help you even more. So thank you, Adina. Thank you, Jennifer. I thought this was a great conversation. Best of luck with uh, with uh, all that's going to happen. And maybe at some point in the future, we'll be able to have this conversation again, and we'll hear some more interesting stories of uh, what you found. Absolutely. Thank you so thank much. You so much. Happy okay. New Year to everyone. Shana Tova. Shana Tova.